All right, so open your Bibles up to Exodus chapter 20. And we have made it to the end of the Ten Commandments. Woo! Woo! I know. It's been ten weeks plus a break, couple breaks in there. So we've been in the book of Exodus for a year and two months already. Can you believe that? And, uh, and we probably have another little bit to go. It has like 40 chapters and we're in chapter 20 or something like that. Um, so I'm excited to, to get going again through the narrative part of the story, but we've been slowing down through these Ten Commandments so that we really understand uh, what is being said here, that God's just not making arbitrary rules for people to follow, but he's teaching us about his character and who he is. And, and uh, it's so wonderful that he gives us such insight into who he really is. So let's pray and then we'll get started. Father, I thank you for your love and your grace in our lives. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would uh, fill us with your Holy Spirit. You would speak to us each individually because we need you, Father. And we, uh, we can't live this life in our own and on our own uh, power and, and with our own um, spirit. Lord, we need your spirit. Uh, we were designed to follow you and to serve you. And I just pray that each one of us would follow you and serve you uh, with all our heart today. Amen. So this is the 10th commandment, which is don't covet. And uh, this is really the heart of the Ten Commandments. So we read in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's, uh, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servants, nor his female servants, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. So what is coveting? That's a word we do not use in our modern English. We don't say, hey, bro, what are you coveting today? Uh, that's just not the way that we talk anymore. Uh, well, if you were to define it it's, it, it's to lust after something or long for something with great desire. And specifically, it's wanting something that someone else has. This covenant, or excuse me, this commandment deals exclusively with the heart, what we want. And we break this commandment in our heart. By the way, you've all broken this commandment. We probably all broke it today. Uh, we, we just, it's in the heart and it's something that we really struggle with. Uh, but we break it in the heart and then actions follow when we break this commandment. If you covet your neighbor's wife and you let that live in your heart, then it comes out as adultery. You remember that command? Don't commit adultery. That was a big command. Well, that began with coveting. And so coveting is really the beginning of many. If you covet your neighbor's stuff, it'll eventually lead to stealing. You know, as you'll see with the ants. We'll get to that in a minute. If you covet your neighbor's personality, you're going to lie about who you are and you're going to act like someone else and you're going to be fake. I mean, coveting just leads to so many outward expressions of, of sin, okay? Uh, coveting is like a heart disease that leads to other sin complications. You know, a lot of times when people, or when people get AIDS, they don't die of AIDS, they die of something else because it destroys their immune system 
and they get a cold and they die of the cold or, or whatever the situation may be. It's kind of like that. So have you ever asked these questions? We're going to ask ourselves some questions here. God, why can't I have what they have? You ever asked yourself that? Or how about this one? Why does my life looks like, look like this? Why does my life look like this? And usually that question is asked against the backdrop of someone else's life who you're thinking about that's like seems perfect. Why does my life look like this? Or maybe, do you love them more than you love me? Have I done something that's caused me to miss out on blessings? These questions, if they go unanswered and if we, we, we stay in this place of questioning the Lord in this, uh, they can lead to something called resentment. If these just rattle around in our heads and, and we focus on these questions and why our life is the way that it is, it will lead to resentment. Coveting is deadly to our spiritual lives. Comparing our lives and our blessings with another person is death spiritually. We just can't live in that state. Uh, a guy named Bob James tells this story. He says, recently I laid a small circle of poison around a hill of stinging ants. Thinking the tiny granules of poison were food, the ants began to pick them up and carry them throughout the colony. I returned later to see how well the poison was working. Hundreds of the stinging ants were carrying the poison down into their hill. Then I noticed a hole in the circle of poison. Some of the poison was moving the opposite way, away from the hill. And what was happening was smaller, non-stinging ants had found this food, and they were stealing, they were getting the other ants' treasure. They were stealing it from their ant neighbors. They were thinking they were getting treasure and unwittingly, they were poisoning themselves. When we see someone with more than we have, we need to beware. The hunger to beg, borrow, or steal our way into what is theirs is a poison to us spiritually. It kills us spiritually. This is like the most sneaky of all sins because it's hidden in the heart. You can be talking to someone and say, oh, you're such a wonderful person. Oh, you're so lucky. God has really blessed you. And inside you're going, I wish I was you. I wish I had your stuff. I wish I was as blessed as you are. And it, that can be happening. And on the outside, your smiles and love. And on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones, as Jesus would say. It's corrupted. It's very sneaky. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 is a very... Uh, famous verse, we reference it all the time, but it says the heart is so wonderful and you should follow it all the time. Follow your heart. That's what every Disney movie says, right? Just so you're not confused, I misquoted that on purpose because that's a lie. The Bible says your heart is deceitful and above all things and it's desperately wicked who can know it? That's what the Bible says about our heart. Satan says, follow your heart. Make yourself happy. <gasps> That's what makes you happy. Go for it. And God says, your heart's the problem, guys. 
Your heart is the problem. Okay, so we understand the heart's the problem. So how do I know then if I'm coveting? He says, who can know how wicked our heart is? That's what Jeremiah just said. So how do I know if I'm coveting? Have you ever seen the movie Inception? Okay, it's a cool movie, right? It's got all the, it's very confusing. I still don't understand the end (laughs) at all. But it's basically, it's a movie about this group of spies basically planting thoughts into someone's head through their dreams, okay? So they're planting a thought. And if they go deep enough into a person's consciousness, then they can convince the person that the idea that they planted was really their idea, okay? You've seen the movie. You don't even need to see it anymore. Well, Satan basically uses covetousness the same way. He plants an idea in our hearts, an idea that we need something, or or that something in our life uh, that we don't have is really what we're missing. If I only had a husband or a wife, if I only had that car, if I only had, and you can fill in the blank, with anything. Satan plants that. And the entire purpose of Satan planting that in your heart was to distract us. Distract us. Distraction, 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 distraction. Boom. Tough acting distraction. <laughs> distraction. The word distraction is, is, is a, it could be a noun that, that prevents someone from giving full attention uh, to something else. Uh, it, it, could be a, it, it could be extreme agitation of, of the mind or emotions. It could, it could just be sounds that you're hearing <laughs> that, are, that are very annoying, like like dogs barking or the cars honking or ambulances going by. It could be all these. It's so easy to get distracted, right? <laughs> so these are just, obviously, thank you, BK, for being our distraction. <laughs> You've earned a new nickname. The distraction. Tough acting distraction. <laughs> it's so easy to get distracted, especially for a guy, and we see a squirrel, and we're, ah! It's so cool, you know? Um, and these were all external distractions that we just were kind of experiencing, but Satan is going to just try to distract us in our hearts. Have you ever been just not as passionate or focused as you once were? You're like, wake up one morning and, and all the things of God just seem distant and vague. Whatever, that happens to me, I'm quite commonly, actually. How did Satan accomplish that? How did he get me distracted? And the answer is by coveting. He distracted my heart by telling us that we weren't happy, that we needed something else to be happy. If he can plant that small idea that you need a husband that's nice to you, that loves you in order to be happy, 
that you need a job that's fun to go to and a boss that's not a jerk. And you need kids that obey everything you say in order to be happy. These are things that he convinces us of. I can't be happy as long as this thing is in my life. He, Satan has convinced you of that. Because that is not what Jesus has declared to be the truth about you. Satan says you need a spouse, you need the car, you need the job, you need the house, you need health. You can't be happy if you've got one leg. You can't be happy if you're sick all the time. What if you're not in ministry? You can't really be happy if you're not fulfilling your purpose. How about if a bigger ministry? You're not happy with 10 people? Well, maybe 15 people make you happy. You're not happy that you have no talent. You're not happy that you have no kids, that you have kids. Maybe you're like, I wish I had no kids. That would make me happy. (laughs) What do we really need to be happy? Jesus. Who said it? 25 Jesus points for you. She's tallying them right now. (laughs) Hebrews 13.5. We got to read this verse. We're going to read two or three more verses today. Hebrews 13.5. Way back in, before Revelation, a couple of books before, you come to Hebrews. And in chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. All right? So he's repeating the law in the Ten Commandments. Be content with such things as you have. But look what he says here. For he himself, who is he talking about? Jesus. He himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. How amazing is that? Satan knows that only Jesus will make you happy. Jesus' presence, his love being experienced by you, so he plants a thought into your heart that distracts you from Jesus. That's his only point, is to distract you from Jesus. He's keeping you from happiness by telling you that you need happiness. He knows that he can't kill you, so all he can do is distract you. He can't steal your joy, but he can convince you to ignore him, your joy, Jesus. He can't he can't disconnect you from Jesus, but he can distract you and oh look at this shiny little thing and we take the bait so often look he says for he himself that's jesus has said i will never leave you nor forsake you and this is the cure for coveting you know how we we study a lot about old covenant and new covenant. So the old covenant command, the law, says, do not covet. But Jesus promises. That's what the new covenant is. Jesus' promises and what Jesus does for you. So Jesus promises that through his presence in our lives and what he did on the cross, that we are free from coveting. You won't need to covet anymore. That's the new covenant. The promise of God through Jesus and Jesus' life. Jesus brings the freedom that we need over the power of these sins, these sins that had power over us before. He replaces that sin's power 
with blessings of joy and peace. And he just gives it. He says, if you keep your eyes on me, you will lack nothing. I will give you all that you need, starting with joy and peace. That is the promise of God in your life today, but I'm not experiencing it. That's on you because he has given it. He has promised it. He has given it. Well, how do I get it? How do I get this blessing of peace and joy? All he demands is surrender. Humility and faith. You have to acknowledge, I can't do my life on my own faith, but I trust you, Jesus. I put my hope in you, Jesus, and I'm holding nothing back. In all decisions of my life, I will trust you and look to you. It's not a work. You're not promising to go to church every day for the rest of your life. It's not a work saying, I promise to never do a bad thing again. It's saying, I will look to you. I will agree with you. I will follow you because you love me. That's how this new covenant works. It's called abiding in Christ. Not running away from him, getting distracted and going this way and getting distracted and going that way, but staying near to him. We studied a couple weeks ago, one of the promises of God is that he has brought us near. We who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible declares that. So you don't feel near to God? I don't care. You are. You know, I, I don't, I'm not close to God. You don't understand. I haven't read my Bible in two months. Do you believe in Jesus? And you, have you trusted him to forgive you? Then the Bible declares you are near to God. He has brought you near. Now, you may be distracted and not experiencing the blessings that come with being near to God, but that's on you. And the, it's simple to get back. You say, I'm sorry. And you lift your eyes again to the Lord. And you say, forgive me, and I love you, and oh, thank you for always being there and never leaving me even when I was a goober, right? He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. You can leave me, and and there'll be consequences for that. Like I tell my kids, you can do whatever you want, but there will be consequences if you do the certain set of things. Jesus says, you stay near to me and you will have peace, joy, blessings, all yours. Or you can go and I will not leave you, but you won't experience those peace, joy. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. So if we refuse to believe in this new covenant of grace, all the wonderful things Jesus has promised to give us, And what if we continue to walk in coveting and and wanting other things and I need this to make me happy and that to make me happy? What if we continue to seek happiness and all kinds of other things besides Jesus? We reject his claim to be all that we need and his claim to be our God and instead we seek other things to bring meaning to our life. Well, let's look at Ephesians chapter 5 verse 5. He says this, kind of a warning. It says, "For you know that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance 
in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's one of those verses that's kind of scary when we read it because we think, um, I may have fornicated. I may have been unclean. I mean, I didn't even shower yesterday. I did, but for example. That's not, those are not what it's talking about. It's, it's using these and it's saying someone who chooses to abide in that lifestyle, someone who chooses to live that lifestyle and not agree with God that it's wrong, not repent and turn to Jesus. If you repent, and you can fall as an unclean person and as a fornicator uh, many, many, many times. And if you repent, you're still saved. You're still clean. But if someone continues to live that lifestyle and say, I know that this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway because it makes me happy and I don't care what Jesus thinks, Jesus is like, sorry, that's not, that's not what we're doing here. I'm God. And you can abide in me and I will give you salvation as a gift, free. You don't have to do anything except agree with me of what's right, what's wrong, and keep your eyes on me and trust me. I'll change you. You don't have to stop. You don't have to fix your desire to drink or your desire to do drugs. Or, you know, that's not on you. You can't fix that. Who can change themselves? We can't. But we can choose to trust in Christ, trust in Jesus, and he will do the changing by his grace that we need. He has that ability. So this is kind of a big deal, this coveting. And I want you to notice that the coveting here says, nor covetous man who is an idolater. Coveting is linked to idolatry. Do you remember which one that was? Way back at the beginning of the Ten Commandments, he said, don't have any idols, right? You shall have no other gods besides me. So we kind of, the Ten Commandments are kind of a big circle and they end up back where they started again. Worship, idolatry is simply worshiping other gods. Or we could say it like this in our world, it's valuing something else more than Jesus. What do you value the most? Success, then that's your God. Relationships, then that's your God. My family, then that's your God. And good luck with those things saving you. They can't. Well, my marriage, I value my marriage above everything. Then your marriage is probably going to fall apart. You have to value Jesus above everything for things to be blessed, for you to live in that place where God is blessing everything. That's what we do when we covet something is we are valuing it above Jesus. We devalue Jesus and his ability to be all that we need. And instead, we place our value or worship on something that is not God, but it's just a thing. How could we truly be a child of God if we continue to live a life that places no value on Jesus? And the answer is, from the scriptures, we can't. We have to value Jesus. We have to believe. Valuing Jesus is not working. It's just believing that he is everything that he matters, that he is all that we need. It's believing, like we talked about last week in our Easter message, right? Our life is marked by continual, if our life is marked by continual coveting or never really happy in Jesus, then it says we can't be confident in our salvation. I'm never happy with Jesus. I go to church and it's just always a bummer. I don't understand the songs, 
The teaching is boring, and I just don't get anything out of it. I'm not happy. That should be a big red flag. Do I even know Jesus? Hmm. If someone never rejoices in God's promises, they're always doubting everything God says. That's a big question mark. It's a big red flag. If someone is never thankful for his love, but they're always desiring a sign or a token like money or a blessing, God, if you love me, you would do this. If you, if you cared about me, you would change this person. That, that doesn't, that's not believing that in his love. He's already given a token of his love. And what was that? Jesus on the cross. You want something more than that? There is nothing more than that. It's the most love that could be packed into a thing. It is love. If someone is never desires to hear the word of God at church or even in their devotions, but they're always just fine on their own, you got to wonder, hmm, red flag. If there's never a moment of true worship, but they're always bored at church, and the only thing they get excited about is other things like football or whatever, we got to ask ourselves, am I in Christ? Do I really worship Jesus? Because he says here, do you want an inheritance in the kingdom of God? You've got to be a child of God. A child cares about what their father cares about. They're in the line of their father. They care, they, they care about the things their, their dad cares about. What do I do if I find myself in that situation? where I've been, I just see so many red flags in my own life. I don't even know if I care anymore. It's easy. The answer is easy. It's repent and believe the gospel. Turn away from the things that you thought would bring you happiness and instead turn to Jesus and believe the good news of his love. The Bible says you're saved at that point. You're in his love. You've been brought near by his blood. You may fail a thousand million times in a thousand million ways, but you can always repent and turn back to Jesus and and agree with him. And that's why following Jesus is so amazing. He's such a gracious and forgiving God and master. He never says, 10 Hail Marys and you're good. Sorry, it's not in the Bible. He never says, well, go give your life to helping the poor and then you'll be good. He doesn't. He says, you're forgiven. That's all he says. And if you ask, how can I know I'm forgiven? He says, it's me. Remember what I did for you on the cross. You're forgiven. Oh, but you don't know how bad I've been. Bro, it's me. Look at what I did on the cross. You're forgiven. And this can happen hundreds of times before you and me actually believe it. But the faster we just believe it, the quicker we get past these sins and we start to realize sinning doesn't make me happy anymore. Sinning does not make me happy anymore. In fact, I kind of hate myself when I sin. So believing the gospel is what gets us there, not saying, I am going to be the one who decides to stop sinning today. How many times have we done that? That is putting our trust in ourselves, in our own efforts, self-source salvation. That is not Jesus or the gospel. Jesus says, you're lame because you're a sinner. 
I love you, and I, have, I can transform you in my gospel and in my love. So just come to me, believe what I can do in you, and you're free. And that's what I had a dream last night. You want to hear my dream last night? This is crazy. So I had a dream, and I, I'm only, I only remember like 10 seconds of it, but I was in prison, okay? And I was chained up, and this is crazy. This is just for you guys. I don't know who this is for today, but I had this dream last night, and I woke up immediately, and I knew I had to share it with you guys today. I didn't know when I was going to share it. I even forgot about it, and I just remembered it right now because the Holy Spirit told me, okay? I had a dream. I was in prison. Okay? And I knew in my dream, it was, it was the prison of my own sin, my own making. And, and, I, and Jesus came and stood in the prison cell with me. And I, and I lifted my hands up like this, and I was going to say, Jesus, would you take off my chains? And as I lifted my hands up, the chains were gone. And he just looked at me and kind of smiled and laughed, and I woke up. And I'm like, that is so awesome. So I don't know who that's for today, but if you've been like thinking like, how do I break free of this lifestyle? It's just, Jesus is there, just lift it up to him and it's gone. I just thought that was really cool. I don't know what, amen. So it's easy, just like lifting those hands up. This is why we choose to be bond servants. Does anyone know what the word bond servants means. It's that it, they, people were slaves back in the day or servants, but a bond servant is someone who maybe served his master for a little bit, and then they said, you know what? I love you, master, and you love me, and I would rather serve you for the rest of my life than leave you. It was a, it was a commitment, and so they would take that servant to the, the front of the doorpost, and they would put their ear again, and they would put a nail through their ear and then they would have an earring from that point on, which meant that they were a bond servant to their master. They were a slave by choice. A slave by choice. And this is why what we do when we decide to follow Jesus. We surrender everything. We say, I'm going to be your bond servant. We're slaves by choice because that's what's enjoyable. That's what brings us happiness. We know that we love him, he loves us, and in that relationship, I would rather work as hard as a slave, work myself, I would rather be there with him than be free. There is no greater joy than this, this relationship with Jesus. Enjoy him more. Enjoy him more than everything else in your life. This is the cure for covetousness. We're studying today, thou shalt not covet. And it seems like this big, don't ever desire anything. But when Jesus comes in the new covenant, he transforms that from don't covet to I'm everything that you need and want. And just keep your eyes on me. And as you keep your eyes on me, you are fulfilled and you are satisfied and we can enjoy him. So we don't need to be distracted by anything in this world. We focus on Jesus and Jesus alone. All right? So how can I do that? One, one last scripture and then we're done, okay? So Luke chapter 12. We're going to let Jesus just take it from here and teach us with his own words how we can keep our eyes on him and how we can avoid being distracted by the world. Luke chapter 12. We're going to start and pick it up in verse 13. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Luke chapter 12. 
says, Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So he's got a family issue, this guy, and he says, I want money. That's what makes me happy. It's right that I get this money. So Jesus, you go to bat for me and help me get this money that I deserve. Okay? And, but he said to him, Man, who made me? I love that. Man, who made me judge and an arbitrator over you? Then he said, Take heed and beware of what? Covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. He's saying, the problem with you, bro, is not that you are being treated unfairly. The problem is that your covetousness. You think this will make you happy. Why do you sue someone? Because you're missing out. Verse 16. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And then he thought with himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store all my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. This is the distraction Satan has planted in his heart. These goods and these crops are what will make you happy. Verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul? You have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Jesus says giving in to distraction is foolish. It makes a fool. It's the decision a fool would make. It's so dumb, he says. All these things won't matter, he says. Your job, your parties, your ease and luxury, your friends, your games, they don't matter. They don't last. They will pass on to someone else the minute you're gone. They don't even belong to you anymore. You guys know the story of the guy who was dying in his deathbed and he's like, I want, he said to his son, I want you to take all my jewels and money and put them in the attic above me so I can take them with me. And, and the guy did that because whatever, and, and he, the, the, the old man dies. And, and he goes up there to kind of check on the stuff up there and it was all still there. And he goes and tells his mom, hey, this is crazy. All that, all that stuff was still there when when grandpa, you know, went on up into, into heaven, and she's like, yeah, that is weird, but all my dirty laundry in the basement was gone. <laughs> Verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, therefore I say to you, do not worry. We could just stop right there, and that would be church. Stop worrying. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. So we just, the, he had this guy ask him this question about his inheritance. And he says, you know what your problem is, bro? You got, you're, you're too focused on what you think will make you happy. Then he tells the parable, the rich man and the, and the barns and stuff, okay? Now he's teaching his disciples what this all means. He's going to the next level, the deeper level. And that's you guys. And he says here, don't worry. This is the whole point. How to avoid covetousness. 
Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, nor which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? He's saying, learn about God's character. God loves you and has given you and will give you everything that you ever need. But you don't believe it, and that's why you're unhappy. That's why you won't experience my blessings, because you don't really think God loves you. Of how, uh, and which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? And if you are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, which is what you could, could describe the life of someone who's coveting and always toiling and working to get more. Yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek, or we couldn't put the word covet, what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious Mind For all these things the nations of the world seek after, but your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. What does he say we should seek? The kingdom of God, what God is doing in the world. Do not fear, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. One of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture. Do not fear, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens which does not fail, <coughs> where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says that when we are worried and anxious and focused on anything but him and his kingdom, we are acting foolish because all these things that we're worried about either don't matter or they're already given to us. So why are you worried? But when we set our hearts on those things, we miss out on them. When you finally get the car, you get buyer's remorse. You know? How many rich people do you know that are happy? Well, God is rich, but he has, he has no lack, and in his presence is fullness of joy. So he's rich and happy, which is crazy. And the key to us being blessed, spiritually rich, and happy, full of joy, is right there in the end when he says, seek the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. He says, do not fear, little flock, for your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And where it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A single eye. That means you only look at one thing. The Bible says, keeping a single eye on Jesus is all we need to do. A sharp focus on the Son of God. Undivided mind meditating on His Word. Jesus isn't part of our life. He is our 
whole life. Absolute surrender to his plan, his will, his calling, his kingdom. Why does he want such full and complete abandonment from us? Because he wants to bless us. He needs an empty cup to pour his life into. He can't pour it into something that's already full. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He asks us to look away from things that may even be good that we covet and replace them with what is perfect. But how will this make us feel when we surrender all and abandon all to Jesus and be one of those Jesus freaks? Well, when our, when our focus and when our attention, when our heart is on Jesus alone, he takes responsibility for your life and how you live, for the quality of your life. His reputation is on the line. His name is at stake. And he has declared that all who seek him and trust in him alone will never be put to shame. They will be blessed. They will have peace and joy and every other spiritual blessing. That's his word. He said at the end, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He offers us life in our hearts, peace in our hearts. He is the source of that life, the only source. And when our eyes are on him, all the things that we used to covet for, they will seem rusty and dull and pointless and a waste of time. He is the treasure. He is the treasure that our hearts experience when we abide in him. Believing in the gospel each day and letting it be the only reason we live, that's what it means to abide on him and keep our eyes on him. The gospel is a treasure given to you that will bring peace, a treasure, joy, a treasure, and value to your heart Every single day, you are rich and you need nothing except what Christ offers you. But most of us struggle to believe that. But we have an opportunity today to say, I'm, you know what? I'm fine. God loves me. And I may be in the worst situation imaginable. I may have this wrong and that wrong and the other thing wrong. And I have all kinds of reasons to be upset. But you know what? I am going to lift my eyes to Jesus and ask him, who am I? And he says, I love you so much, child. I have given you so much. I have died on the cross to wipe out everything wrong with you. And you are perfect in my sight. You are my treasure. And I am your treasure. I am my beloved's, and he is mine. And that's where we live as Christians. So much different than just going to church because it's our responsibility, right? So much different. You guys have that life? Okay, let's stand up and sing about it then. In this last song, uh, what we do is at the end of service, we have the communion stuff is over here, the bread and the juice. And, and what we do is it's open during this last song for you just to come up and, uh, and take communion. And, and what that's restricted to is only if you believe. If you believe that Jesus is your Savior, you have every right to come take a piece of cracker and eat it remembering his body was broken for you. Take a thing of juice 
and drink it, remembering his blood was poured out for you and that new life is available to you. So during this last song, we just come up and we, um, uh, at your whenever you're ready, and just come up and take it. Uh, would you guys join with me in praying? Okay, Father, I want to thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy that you poured out your blood for me to be my covering, to be my husband. You've chosen me to be your bride, and I am overjoyed. And no matter what my life looks like and the pain and the suffering that you have uh, asked me and brought into my life, I will trust that above all those things is this umbrella, this covering of your great love, and that's all I lift my eyes to. I set aside the things that the enemy wants to distract me with. And if you have never once before today truly believed in the gospel, believe that Jesus was nailed to the cross and died as your substitute, and you've never taken that and by faith grabbed hold of it and said, Jesus is my Savior, I invite you and implore you to do that today, to call out to him from your heart of hearts and say, I need a Savior. I am guilty of sin. And Jesus, I trust that you, God's Son, died on the cross for me, and I will follow you from this day forward. I call upon everyone to do that. It is God's love, it is God's grace offered to us daily. Father, we rejoice and praise you. We love you, Lord, and we pray that we would all have a single mind and a single focus upon you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Let's sing this out to the Lord.